Hello and welcome. You're listening to Pride Perspectives. On this show, we bring together a rotating guest list of Hofstra community members to talk about their lived experiences and wide-ranging viewpoints. My name is Jillian Atkinson, and I'll be your host. Today is one of our series of Hofstra history conversations. This is a special edition regarding Black Hofstra history. I'm glad to be joined by Miss Athleen Collins, Executive Director of the Hofstra Cultural Center. Welcome, Ms. Collins. Thank you so much for giving of your time and your knowledge today. Could you say hello? Hello, everyone. Hi, how are you? Uh, thank you, Jillian, for this opportunity to share uh, my story here at Hofstra University with the wide world community. <laughs> Yay. Well, Yay. Thank you so much for joining us today. So I'm gonna start, my first question would be, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your time here at Hofstra. Okay, so I am a native of Trinidad and Tobago where I finished my formal education. I came to the US to join my family and further my education. I ended up at Hofstra based on a prayer by my mother. She would pass Hofstra University frequently and would always say to herself, I wish one of my daughters could get to work there or go to school there. Within four months of coming to the US, I actually got a job at Hofstra University as a temp and the job ended up being permanent uh, based on my skills and my knowledge um, in the secretarial field. I started school uh, that same year, uh, maybe about three or four months after where I majored in management and marketing. And while doing that, I was working um, in the secretarial pool at Hofstra University. And one of my assignments was to work at the cultural center. At that time, it was called the University Center for Cultural and Intercultural Studies. And while working there, I was bitten by the bug of event planning. Um, you know, it was very new. They were working in preparation for the presidential conference with Dwight D. Eisenhower. And um, I got involved in that. Uh, at that time, we didn't have technology um, whereby, you know, you would be sending emails and whatnot. Everything was being typed, carbon copy paper, if you could believe it. And um, so I worked on that conference. And like I said, uh, very detail oriented. Um, and I enjoyed it so much that they actually offered me a job permanently. And that's where I've been till now. Wow, that is an awesome story. I love that story. That's such a good one. <laughs> so your mother must be so proud of you at this point to know that you are, have been here. Her dream has been actually visualized and come into real person. That's amazing. That's amazing. So now I have another question for you. Could you tell us why the Hofstra Cultural Center is such an important part of our campus community and a little bit more about the role that you play within it now? Okay, so I think the Cultural Center is unique to this campus as it has been in existence since 1976. Um, it did not necessarily start off as the HCC it currently is, but has over the years of its existence has developed into what I call a classroom without walls. The initial concept was to work alongside faculty developing programming 
that they were interested in, in which they, sh they showcased their research um, in the form of a lecture. We have since expanded to doing conferences, symposia, music, dramatic presentations, commemorating historical anniversaries, pop culture, and so forth. The classroom without walls aspect allows us to integrate the theory with the practical. And what I mean by this is that we are able to host speakers that focuses on the work going on in the classroom, have experts on campus in areas of study, host conferences and symposia on new scholarship, and this gives students and faculty an opportunity to engage. You're not just learning about theory in the textbook, right? You're actually getting to engage and meet those same people that are writing the books, those same people that are doing the research, and therefore the learning process comes alive. That's awesome. Like just a wonderful co-curricular experience, which exactly I think every institution of higher education truly strives to provide to their students. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So I want to get your opinion on a current trend um, that I see occurring um, in the world today, which is to abolish identity-based months and acknowledge all identities all year long. Could you tell us from your perspective why Black History Month is an important concept that should be recognized and celebrated throughout the month of February? Okay, so that's an interesting question. Um, I could look at it from both sides and I do understand it from both sides, understand where the trend is coming. But I think it's more important in the case of Black History Month because of the lack of Black history being acknowledged and taught in schools. There needs to be an acknowledgement of our history, of all of us, and the role we played and still continue to play. It's not just recognizing surface roles of Martin Luther King or Malcolm or Frederick Douglass or Sojourner Truth or James Baldwin, just to name a few. Yes, they played important roles, but it goes deeper than that. Although February is the month chosen to recognize Black history, just like any other heritage months, does it mean that we stop on February 28th or 29th? We need to continue learning. I think if we all took time to learn, to listen, to acknowledge and recognize that each of our experiences are different, but yet the same, Maybe we won't be in the predicament that the country is in right now grappling with race relations and systemic racism. That is a phenomenal answer and spoken from an absolute expert opinion. I mean, like, honestly, I could not agree with you more on that. That um, Yes, I understand why Black history needs to happen 365, but I think because of the lack of mm -hmm. um, history that we've had taught to us, from the general American educational cur curriculum over the years is why we have to continue to expound upon our history, even if it is just in February and then letting people know that it, it's more than just February. 
Um, I can't tell you just the other day how many people have come to me to say like, I have to tell you something. I didn't know about Juneteenth. I said, well, how would you have known about Juneteenth? It's not something that's taught in the curriculum and wasn't taught into the curriculum until now, right? So just think that's one example how much more black history we have other outside of that of just slavery. Exactly, and it's it's not just slavery, it's, it's everything. You know, we're standing on the, the shoulders of so many people who have gone before us, uh, shed their blood before us. Who would think that I would come from Trinidad and Tobago and be sitting in this position to um, be the director of the cultural center, right? And, and that doesn't necessarily mean the color of my skin, but it means me going to school and getting an education and furthering my skills. And, and, and that's what we need to do. Yeah. It's like, I love that t-shirt that says that I am my ancestors' wildest dreams because it truly is, it, it's the truth. It's a hundred percent the truth. And as you're coming from immigrants of Trinidad, I come from immigrants of Jamaica. So who would have thought that, you know, two women from, from immigrant families that, you know, women did not hold primary roles within, no. you know, other than being teachers, within being educators and being administrators, right? And these high profile roles would come to fruition within one generation. It makes me so much more excited to see like, what's gonna happen with my children down the line? Like what where, what, what are they gonna be able to accomplish? Exactly, and, and not only that, the, the fact that yes, we're two immigrant women, but we have different experiences, right? Yep. Not because we are black, our experience is the same of someone who was born here in America. We're still learning their history as yes. well. Yes. So don't necessarily take for granted and assume because we're black that we understand their history. We may understand the history of the Caribbean, but not necessarily the history of America. So we're in a learning process as well. Amen, amen. And I'm happy to learn that history because you know my children are, are part, are part African-American and I feel like that's a really important aspect of their identity, that we should all know each other's history and not just the, you know, the transatlantic slave trade part of it. Like we were more than that and we are more than that. So mm -hmm. I agree with you hundred percent on that point. So with that, could you, because of your phenomenal um, historical perspective, could you name a few black identifying notables Hostra has hosted over their 80 plus years of existence? Oh my God, there are so many so many people that have come across the path of Hofstra University. I mean, when I started at Hofstra and was programming Black History Month events, I assisted the then Dean of the NOAA program, uh, Frank Smith. And we had staple speakers every year. Um, Dr. John Henry Clark, Dr. Yosef Benyakinen, Gil Noble, from ABC's Like It Is, um, Dr. Naeem Akbar, Imhotep Gary Bird, who is on radio doing the Black Experience, Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez, oh. Amiri Baraka, oh. Angela Davis, Ozzy Davis, wow. Ruby D, oh. even the mother of Amadou Diallo, oh. Um, and, and even more recently, we had Eddie Glord, uh -huh. Dr. William Barber, 
New York Times journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. Which is amazing, but, right? Because now her essays are going to be our, um, our readings for the incoming class of 2025, which is phenomenal. Exactly. And, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Colson Whitehead. So, you know, and we've had a history of well-known educated historical speakers coming to Hofstra University. I mean, even before we had Ebony Magazine did a fashion show mm -hmm. and we hosted that fashion show here at Hofstra five times. Wow. Five times in the wow. playhouse. Who right? knew? I had no idea. That was so five cool. times in the playhouse. So Hofstra has a rich history of hosting Black identifying notables. However, it's it's difficult for this generation to understand. You know, like I said before, you know, every university is a revolving door. And 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 when we had those speakers, they probably weren't born yet. <laughs> Maybe they were still in campus. So for, um, for them hearing those names today, it's like, oh, why can't we get that person? He's been here already. <laughs> yep. That's so funny. You know, but that's how it goes, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the most uh, surprising that I found out came to Hofstra was Dr. King. And then right. he was the keynote speaker. I was shocked right. at that. Like, wow, even well before um, he rose to popularity, he came exactly. here and the, I think it was the president at that time, President Lord, yes. um, extended an invitation and he took mm -hmm. him up on it. And um, he came in and President Lord was very intentional about inviting Dr. King because he knew exactly what Dr. King stood for. And um, he wanted his, his graduating seniors to, to hear that. I love that. Exactly. That was exciting to know that. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a little bit more of a personal. Um, who were your top five favorite Black identifying mm. dignitaries that you had the honor of hosting and meeting during your time at Hofstra? Oh, my gosh. Uh. That's a hard question, only because there have been so many that I have met um, and had the opportunity to hear. Um, so it's hard to limit it to five, but I'm gonna think of five that actually um, initially impacted me. Uh, the first one being um, Amadou Diallo's mother, Kiatu Diallo. And reason for that was because she had recently was dealing with the situation with her son and what happened in Harlem and the cops and what have you. And she came to Hashtra and to know what her son went through, to know what she was going through. Um, she didn't live in the US and she came because of that incident and to see her grace her grace. Everyone in the audience was just mesmerized. Because when you think about it, you yourself individually, we don't know how we would have handled such a circumstance. We don't. But to see the grace that she had, right, and portrayed, and it just exuded out of her. Um, so she was one. Cornell West. Mm. Uh, he came, I believe, for the 2012 debates. And to see how 
of a regular person he was, so to speak, right? The car dropped him off on California Avenue. And before I could have gotten a chance to run down and meet him, he was already walking up the path, <laughs> taking pictures with students, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it, it was awesome. Uh, uh, he spoke at the Playhouse. And after the Playhouse, uh, after his talk, we were actually hosting a watch party to sh see one of the debates. And he stayed until midnight. Wow. He had to sign every book. <laughs> he had to take every picture. You know, wow. to the point I said, Mr. West, I think you have to leave. <laughs> Show how gracious he was to everyone as well, right? Um, Angela Davis. Mm. You know, um, I think... That one impacted me a lot. I worked with one of the um, the student groups in in bringing her here, and I constantly hear from certain professors on campus who say to me um, that they was on sabbatical, and when they came back that particular semester, one of the first talks they attended was the talk with Angela Davis, and it was held in Monroe. And it was standing room only to the point where people were outside of the door along the walls. And I think it, besides the, the usual Black History Month luminaries that we had, um, like a Dr. Ben and a Dr. Ben Yakinin and Gil Noble, she was kind of the first, right, female outside of that, those realm of speakers. And to know that we had so many people that came out for that event. And I'm constantly reminded of that. Oh my gosh, Athleen, I couldn't believe you were able to get Angela Davis to come to Hofstra University, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it was just an awesome experience. And then the creme de la creme, Michael Eric Dyson. Mm. Yeah. Um, he was, you phenomenal. know, uh, he was phenomenal. He, really, he, he really... was phenomenal. He went above and beyond doing um, what we asked besides giving the lecture. Uh, again, he came for one of the, the, the debates. I think also it was 12. Um, he met with students. He taught a master class. Um, he had dinner with faculty and students. So it was an awesome experience for the students, especially that had an opportunity to go up close and meet one of the people that they are admiring from afar, right? Yeah. Um, so those experiences to me, I think the best part of my job is really um, bringing speakers to campus, bringing events to campus, but actually listening to the comments after from the students, yeah. right? Yeah. Because again, like I said earlier, it's an opportunity to integrate the theory with the practical and coming face to face with the people that you're studying in your classroom mm -hmm. and getting an opportunity to integrate and, and engage and ask them personal questions and what have you. Um, so you can actually touch them and see they're actually real. Um, so I think that's one of the best things about my job, seeing the look on the students' faces um, from attending these events and from meeting some of their heroes and sheroes. Mm, I love that. Say like books come to life. Exactly. I love that. I love that. So 
I'm glad that you spoke a little bit about like students and your student experience from when you first started at Hofstra to now. Mm-hmm. With that said, um, the recent phenomenal efforts and increased presence of the Black Lives Matter movement around the world, now more than ever, young people such as our students are taking an active role in civilly engaging in social justice issues again. Mm-hmm. Please share with our audience what similarities you see in students today and their counterparts 30 years ago. In addition to the marked differences, in addition to what marked differences um, do you see in the evolution of today's students? Um, okay, so we're dealing with two different generations. So just like you would go through the turnstile in a train station, it's somewhat the same with university students in that some years um, you have incoming students that are very engaged and some years you have students that are very low key. Although protest is still a viable means of making your voice heard, 30 years ago, we weren't hip to technology. So in order to get your voices heard, it was a matter of putting up posters. It was a matter of calling people on the phone. It was a matter of having meetings and and what have you in order to get students together um, to to voice their opinions. Um, I particularly remember one particular incident um, whereby students did a sit-in around Hofstra Hall um, and Hofstra Hall because it's the central and one of the the original building of the Hofstra campus and the president of the university at the time, that's where his office was. And the reason why they did a sit-in and they circled the outside of Hofstra Hall was because they wanted Hofstra to divest from South Africa. They were concerned as to where the endowment monies was. You know, this was during the apartheid regime era. So, um, So I remember that specifically today's students just as vocal as students from then, but now you have social media, right? You can gather people with the press of a button. You can post, you can record, you can collaborate with other voices and therefore you have a wider reach. The word gets out quicker people get together quicker. Um, So those are the differences in in the way people gather and get the information out. I think they're just as as vibrant. I think back then we would take the time to go through the process of getting our voices heard. I think today they're not waiting for that. They're not waiting for all these different steps that you have to go through. Um, They see an injustice, there's a post, there's a recording, you know, um, people are commenting, you have cancer culture, you have the Karens, you have the protest, this, that, and the other. They send a post, meet me in front of this building at this time, and you go there and there's tons of people. It's not like making Xeroxes of flyers and trying to post it and hope people show up. People are showing up 
And that was very evident in reference to um, George Floyd. I mean, there were many before him, but I think the reason why it made such an impact was because of COVID. People were stuck at home. You can change the channel to something else. You were forced to look at it and see it right in your face. Over and over and over, over and, and over, over again. Yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't like you read it in the newspaper and you said, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? No. You had proof in front of you on the TV. You can turn away from it. I think that's what was so surprising about um, the reaction. Like we, we as yeah. people of color have always, always kind of known that yes. this level of racism exists. But I think that's that was the turning point for many of our allies. Where they, I mean, like the one thing, the stark difference I see between many, you know, the the before the civil rights movement and now, and even like the 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 um, anti-apartheid movement and now mm -hmm. is that it's not just black faces. It's not just right. black people who are out there marching. There's so many black allies who are like, no, we're, we're, we're done. We thought that we had already solved this problem and we see that we haven't. So now we, and that's what I think the difference is with Gen Z and mm -hmm. their, and their, you know, black Gen Z and the black Gen Z allies is that like, they're looking for accountability and they yes. want it from everybody. And it's not going to be a, a mission statement. It's not, they no. want actionable things that you are going to be doing to change this now. And I think that's, you know, it leads into the election. It leads into, you know, co corporate responsibility and accountability. Exactly. And even, you know, institutional accountability. Um, so I, I think that's a stark difference. And it's not, you know, like it, it's not going to be something on paper that, no. that they're going to be able to accept. They want to see the changes that you're going to be making at this, you know, where, wherever you are. Exactly. It's 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 that, that constant... Um, reminder that our parents told us action speaks louder than words that's right right, that's right. Um, like you said it's it's not you putting something down on paper you have to be accountable for what you put down on paper that's right. okay um, it's no longer okay we'll deal with this you know two months down the road or a year down the road now we've gone through that so many times before that now you have to step up to the plate and take the hit. That's right. That's right. I love that. Thank you so much for that answer. That's great. And my final question for you, and I really want to thank you again for taking so much time to answer our questions. Um, our final question would be, who are some Black identifying luminaries that you would love to bring to Hofstra in the coming months or years? And could you also share with us any Black History Month programs our community members can expect from the Cultural Center this month? I think the first person and only person at the moment that comes to mind and um, she came to mind even before um, her nomination, her possible nomination for a Nobel Peace Prize is Stacey Abrams. Yes. And the reason why she came to mind is that when the insurrection happened on January 6th, um, the first thing that came to me was a possible conversation dealing with civic engagement and civic disobedience. However, that wasn't disobedience, that was insurrection. That's right, that's right. Um, so, and I think she would be an ideal person to delineate 
the difference in those two um, avenues. Um, what she did down in Georgia, as far as getting people to vote, um, and 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 what she did in 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 reference to you know the whole fact that she wasn't chosen as governor of Georgia, but was still, regardless of your partisanship or what have you, still was able to talk to people. And, and get them to see and understand why there needs to be a change. It's civic engagement, it's, it's voting. You know, I don't care if you vote Republican, I don't care if you vote Democrat or what have you. The whole point is that you get out and vote. We cannot take our voting for granted anymore. Nope, 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 nope. There's you people know? around the world that are dying for the opportunities that we have. And there's people in this country who died for the exactly. opportunity that we've been given today to vote. So I agree 100%. It would be lovely to have Stacey Abrams grace that campus. <laughs> it would. I actually did reach out to her and I did get Ooh. a response. Oh, good, good, good. Um, however, her calendar is busy, but okay. I did do a rebuttal. <laughs> and <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> you know me, I don't give up that easily. Um, I did reach back out to her and said, listen, anytime your um, schedule is free, we are willing to host you here at Hofstra University. It's not limited to Black History Month. Nope. Nope. It could be any time of the 365. Yeah, I think she has so much to teach our students, I, uh, all of our students, right? Exactly. About like, just because you don't get what you want initially does not mean that there's not a space exactly. or a place for you to make a change somewhere else. I exactly. love the story of Stacey. Abrams. I think one of the lessons um, that is very important uh, for students or people as a whole is to understand the meaning of no. Hmm. No doesn't mean denial. It may mean that you have to go down another path, take another avenue, but it doesn't mean denial, no. right? Amen. We don't always get a yes. Yeah. Amen, I love that. There's importance that. in the no. There's importance in the no. I love that. That is so true. There is so much importance in the no. And I think that's something that our students and our community members need to hear more about. You know, it doesn't mean that the door is slammed. Doesn't mean that, you know, like you just said, you may need to find another way around, but exactly. there's, there's importance in the no. And what plans do you have for this Black History Month in 2021 from the Cultural okay, Center? Okay, so some of the events that we have coming up, um, uh, I have said this before, we we don't limit our events to just February. Um, there's 365 days of the year. And uh, so basically my stance is that if they're available outside of February, I am willing to have them. We can list it as something in collaboration with Black History Month. It just didn't happen during Black History Month, right? Um, however, for this month, we have a Center for Race, Culture, and Social Justice, and they'll be hosting several events this month. Um, our Hofstra Museum of Art will be hosting a virtual conversation dealing with the artwork of Romare Bearden. Um, we are also hosting two events that we started um, last semester. It's called Documentary Mondays. Mm. You know, sometimes you, you can't always get the speaker or you can't to deal with an issue that you want to talk about, right? So we came up with the idea of if there's a documentary on a particular issue, Let's look at the documentary and then we can have a conversation 
about that particular topic. So in this case, uh, the first documentary Monday will be dealing with the Tulsa race riots, um, dealing with Black Wall Street. So we'll be looking at the documentary beforehand and having a conversation after that. We're also going to be looking at, um, let's see here, we're also going to be hosting John Whittington Franklin, who is a native of Tulsa. Uh, his father is actually John Hope Franklin. Um, so they, he would be able to shed light uh, being a child during that time of the race riots. We're also going to be hosting, and this is our keynote event um, on Feb 17th, Dr. Imbram Kendi. Ooh, and yes. we all know this, his book is well known right now. Everyone is reading it, how not to be, you know, how to be an anti-racist. So we'll be having a conversation dealing with racist ideas in America and how to be an anti-racist. In addition, our School of Medicine will be hosting Black Man in White Coat, Breaking the Silence, a Doctor's Reflection on Race and Medicine. Um, and in addition to that, we'll be hosting one more event titled Living on Long Island, housing discrimination and home ownership. So those are a few of the events that we planned this semester, but like I said, it's not limited to just February. I love that. Thank you so much again for your time. And more importantly, thank you so much for what you do for our campus community. Um, like you said earlier, the cultural center plays such a pivotal role in co-curricular experience for our students so that they are able to take some of these authors and some of these writers and these phenomenal notables and bring them to life and exactly. get to learn more. So thank you for all you do and then all you will do. I wish you a wonderful uh, day and um, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone. Our pleasure, our pleasure. If you'd like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please feel free to email studentaffairs at hofstra.edu with the subject line, Pride Perspectives. Again, that's studentaffairs at hofstra.edu. Speaking of future episodes, we'll have new ones up every other Wednesday on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever else you may get podcasts. We'll also be promoting the show through This Week at Hofstra emails and the various DSA social media accounts. For example, My Office, Intercultural Engagement and Inclusion, IEI, or OSLE on Instagram and Twitter. Your perspective is important, and we're always looking to highlight student voices. If you have feedback or questions on today's episode, please write in. We may respond in the next edition. Again, I'd like to promote that we will be hosting on Civil Rights Day Racist Ideas in America and How to Be an Anti-Racist with Dr. Ibrahim Kendi on Wednesday, February 17th, 2021 from 1 to 2 p.m. This will be a virtual event. And if you're interested in attending, please RSVP at events.hostra.edu. Again, my name is Jillian Atkinson. I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Be well.